Hi friends, Jay Stephen Willard here, the yogi of There Once Was a Yogi. I guess I'll have to label this episode a very special episode. It's going to be one where I talk about myself, mostly, which is not my comfort zone. And I guess the topic is a little maybe sensitive or, or triggering, but it seems an appropriate conversation. I don't know if conversation is the right word since I'm talking to myself, but maybe it'll ignite conversations with you and people in your life or maybe even between you and I if you message or email me or something. You know, there's a, a Chinese um, uh, saying, I guess, or wish or blessing, may you live in interesting times. And these are certainly those, you know, even if you just look over the last, I don't know, 18 months, shit's been weird. And I think we all had this hope that in 2021, that things would settle down and maybe we would uh, get back to some sort of normal and stuff just seems crazier than ever. I mean, the, the world is literally on fire. I saw a story the other day where there was a fucking fire in the middle of the ocean. Like just a, a, a ring of fire. So, which sometimes makes me think, well, wow, maybe I should have paid more attention in Sunday school. <laughs> but I paid enough attention to know that I don't think I believe any of that stuff. So today I want to talk about healing and working through religious trauma and how religion for me anyway cultivated a sense of queer phobia in myself. I used to call it homophobia. My friend Chris, who will be on an upcoming episode, uh, relanguaged it as queer phobia because it, it encompasses more. And I also think that maybe I'm queer and not so much gay. Pardon me while I take a sip of beverage. If you've listened with any regularity, um, you know I can't get through a show without hydrating. <laughs> I literally cannot get through a show without hydrating. And um, I can't get through a class without hydrating. And that's always so interesting. Like I'll, I will literally drink about like a 32-ounce thing of water in the course of teaching an hour class. So then by the time I get them into Shavasana, first thing I have to do is run to the bathroom. The joys of getting older. Anyway, on to, uh, on to business at hand. So I grew up in the South. I was born in a small town called Danville, Virginia. It was a, it was a cotton mill, textile kind of town. And it was a town that most people didn't leave. And so my mom worked in this mill for a good portion of her life while she was raising my, my older brother. And then she, she met my dad and my dad was in the Navy and um, I don't know much about their, like how they, how they met or how they fell in love or sometimes I wonder if they even did fall in love. But anyway, so my, my dad was in the Navy and he was uh, doing a, a tour in Vietnam. They got married, she got pregnant I was born, 
And then uh, I've been told conflicting stories. I've been told that my father didn't meet me until I was like two because he was in Vietnam. And I, I think that that really kind of set the tone for our relationship. My older brother says that he uh, actually met me when I was like eight months old and then had to go back to Vietnam. My dad had a very hard upbringing. He was not, when he was born, he weighed like under three pounds and they did not expect him to, to live uh, very long. And, uh, and he had a very uh, rough childhood and his, his, his father uh, killed himself when my dad was very young. And then, you know, my dad joined the service. He goes off to Vietnam. So I think my dad had a lot of uh, PTSD that back then just went very unchecked. And so eventually we end up in Charleston, South Carolina. And for that, I will be eternally grateful that my, that my dad got us out of there. <laughs> because I don't know what my life would have been like had we stayed. Now, my mom has always been the very, not always, but... For a good part of my life, she's been the very religious person. And so I grew up predominantly in the church. There was a brief period where, you know, where we were heathens and we didn't go for a while. But we went in the Southern Baptist tradition, which is a lot of fun if you're not familiar with that. And we would go on Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights. And Lord, I used to, uh, I used to dread revival weeks, which would happen like three or four times a year where we would have to go to church like every day, like for a week. And of course there was vacation Bible school <laughs> in the summers. So in the Southern Baptist tradition, it's a very hellfire brimstone tradition and there's the conflicting message that, you know, that God is love and God loves you unless you do any of the following. And I can remember growing up and, you know, being told that I would go to hell for watching certain TV shows, listening to rock music, uh, going to movies, wearing jeans, uh, you know, disobey, you know, not obeying my parents, uh, all of this stuff, it, it, it pretty much sets it up in a way where there, you're set up for failure. There's no way you can succeed at being a good Southern Baptist. And then when I guess I was around, I don't know, seven or eight, I discovered a show called The Dukes of Hazard, <laughs> And there was something about John Schneider and Tom Wopat and tight blue jeans and sometimes shirtless that created very interesting feelings in a young Stephen. There was no Jay Stephen at that time. So I knew that there was something, I felt differently watching Dukes of Hazard than I did Charlie's Angels. I would watch Charlie's Angels and I just loved the hair and the, the outfits and them running around. I watched Dukes of Hazard, and I wanted to be like cradled <laughs> in their arms or something. So this was not exactly a uh, a discovery that gelled in the Southern Baptist tradition. So as I was getting older and growing up, and you know, 
started going through puberty and discovered a young Matt Dillon in a gem of a movie called Little Darlings and Christopher Atkins in a little movie called The Blue Lagoon. Feel free to Google all of these references and click Google Images when you do. But then I started hearing the messages from the pulpit and around the dinner table and at family holiday visits about the sin of homosexuality, because that's what it was called then. We were homosexuals, we weren't gays. And this was also around the time that AIDS was starting to ramp up. And most of the messages from the pulpit were that this was God's punishment on the gay community. And it was also the first time that I had a word for what I was. I just, I, you know, I knew that there were, I liked boys at school more than I liked girls at school. And I would, you know, buy magazines like Teen Beat and Tiger Beat. And I don't know why Beat was always in the, in the titles. Just for like the shirtless posters of like the aforementioned <laughs> guys. But as I would sit and listen to more Sundays than not, how gays were going to burn in hell and how they deserved to get this disease that would ravish their bodies and just leave them emaciated. I just started realizing that, oh, I can't, I can't voice any of these feelings. Like, I can't say that this is what I am. So I would develop like the, the obligatory, quote, girlfriend which back then just meant that you held hands walking in the hall and, you know, your parents dropped you at a movie or something. There was this one girl, God, I can't remember her name. We went to see the movie Poltergeist, which, and I've never watched it since. But if you recall, spoiler alert, at the end when all the, like, the, the bodies are like popping up out of these graves, she jumped up and ran screaming out of the theater. Now, I realize in hindsight that I was supposed to go after her and comfort her, but instead I stayed and watched the movie. <laughs> Flag number, I don't know, 74. So anyway, as you are growing and you're trying to, you know, your body's physically changing, you're discovering who you are. What do you do when who you are is wrong? Or you're told that it's a mistake, you're a mistake, and it's dirty, and it's deviant. Well, you hold on to those messages. There's no way you can't. You know, if someone calls you something enough times, you start to believe it. And interesting, interestingly enough, when you're in, quote, a house of worship, and you're receiving these messages, you believe them more. Because why wouldn't you? They are they're speaking for for God, you know. They're 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 down with Jesus. And my parents never really said much about it at home, unless I came out wearing, you know, a shirt that was too girly. As my dad would say, 
I was also very prone to doing things with my hair. I had hair back then. So I would color it quite often. I think my dad did say I looked like a fairy one time. I also don't know why I just laughed at that. I remember talking to my therapist about some of these things and I would laugh and he's like, this is not funny. Why are you laughing? And when I was a teenager, I was working at a record store in the mall. So of course I thought it was very cool. And I decided I was going to get my ear pierced. And I had to ask like 10 different people because back then <laughs> the, the ear piercing meant which, which quote team you played on. That was one of the little phrases used back then. So I had to make sure that I didn't get it you know, on the right ear. So I got it pierced. And then I panicked because then I was going to have to go home. <laughs> my parents were going to see this. So I thought I would be proactive. And so I called my mom and uh, told her what I'd done. And she lost her shit. And then she said, I will never forget this. I was like 16. <clears throat> she said, only faggots get their ears pierced. Now, this was not the first time I'd heard that word was not the first time I'd been called the word. But there was something about it coming from her. And I just remember my ears getting really red and my face really flush. And I hung up and uh, my boss at the time at the record store, you know, was, was trying to offer me some words of comfort. And I just, I went in the bathroom and I took the earring out and <laughs> hoped that the ear that the hole would close by the time I got home. It did not. It's actually still there. And I haven't had an earring in there in like 20 plus years. So again, when you get these messages, they settle in your soul. You know, they become a part of you. They become something that you have to run from, hide from. And then my freshman year of high school, I met my first fellow queer. We met in the library. I think it was my very first day of high school, actually. I retreated to the library during lunchtime because I did not want to go into the Thunderdome that was the lunchroom. And we became instant friends. And then I think it was the summer of that year, we came out to each other on the phone. And there was a shift when that happened. Because suddenly, I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one that felt like this, that liked, you know, that also liked boys. There was someone else, just at least one more person. And then I just started, you know, seeking out movies, books, anything I could find, just to give me some idea of the gay experience. Now, while this is all going on, I'm still being, you know, dragged to church twice on Sundays, Wednesday nights, and the dreaded revival weeks. And trying to counter the messages of hate and the messages of you're you're not worthy, you're not human, you deserve to die. Trying to counter those messages with Truman Capote books, <laughs> Paul Lynn on Hollywood Squares, because this was the only media representation back then. 
And then when I started working, I realized that if I volunteered to work every Sunday and every Wednesday after school, I could get out of going to church. So that's what I did. There would be occasions where I'd have to go, you know, like holidays and shit like that. And around this time also, I was starting to read other things. Like I always, I joke that uh, my first um, spiritual teacher was Shirley MacLaine because I read her book Out on a Limb. And I should reread that book because in that book, you know, she talks about uh, meditation. She talks about reincarnation, a lot of stuff that I just wasn't really familiar with. But that led me into reading other stuff. I'd read Ed- Edgar Cayce. Um, I would read other, like, it was New Age stuff back then. So I started having different ways of, of seeing the world and seeing, or maybe even recognizing for the first time, my my spirituality. Because Southern Baptism, in most religion, frankly, isn't really rooted in spirituality. It's a lot of rules and dogma. And so once I graduated high school and was out of the house, church was no longer a thing. Now, I never went full atheist, but I did kind of throw Jesus out with the holy water because I just, I didn't trust it. And I had a few reasons to not to trust it. There was a time when I was, I think I was 15, and I think my parents kind of suspected you know, what was going on with me. And on Sunday mornings, there would be an altar call where you would have to stand up and, you know, bow your head and close your eyes. And in this time, you know, the the pastor would ask, you know, if you know for 100% that you're going to heaven, raise your hand. If you've not accepted Lord Jesus Christ and you're going to burn in hell, raise your hand. Come down the aisle. Kneel at this altar. That was my Southern Baptist preacher impression. So one Sunday, and I would, I would always raise my hand for the heaven part because, you know, what would happen otherwise? But one Sunday morning, my parents took me by the arms and led me down to this altar where I was then forced to kneel at this altar. And then a deacon from the church came, put his arm around me, and started praying in my ear that I would be washed clean and that, you know, the sin of temptation would be removed from me. And I just remember, like, being very red and sweaty. It's my just shaking and my jaw rattling. And then at the end, you know, being led to sit on another pew. And then nothing was spoken about it after. Like we just went to like some steakhouse after church and had lunch. And then many years later, once I was a grown up and to some degree had come out, I'd come to visit. And at some point after dinner, about four or five people from their church show up. There's a circle made of chairs, and I'm put in the middle of this circle. And once again, the prayers start. 
But this time also there was speaking in tongues and laying on of hands. And I just sat there and I just took it. Because I didn't know what else I was supposed to do. Obviously, if that were to happen now, <laughs> there'd be a very different reaction from me. But at that point, you know, I was still believing these messages. I was still believing my parents because they were my parents. They were perfect. They knew everything. There was a pastor and elders. They knew everything. So maybe they were right. Maybe I was deviant. Maybe I did deserve to die. Maybe I was less than human. But once I was in my 20s, I knew a lot more people like me than I didn't. And then I started losing a lot of friends. A lot of people started dying. I was going to more funerals than I was you know, parties at a certain point. And then I just got fucking angry. I got fucking angry at the church, at my parents, at religion, at God. And so then I think I, I don't know if I ever, if I stopped believing, but I certainly put it aside. And this went on for a long time. And then I would have this like ache in my soul. For something, something to have faith in, something to find comfort in. So I started exploring other things again, flirted with more new age stuff, flirted with Buddhism, but I wasn't smart enough to understand it at that time. And then at some point, probably in my early 30s, I discovered A Course in Miracles which uh, I had seen Marianne Williamson on the Oprah show because Oprah had really sort of become my religion at that point, if I'm being honest. And she had a book called A Return to Love. And I read it and I wanted that God that she wrote about in that book because that was a God I could get on board with. A God that, that loved me as I was, that did not need me to change anything about myself. So I went and found A Course in Miracles at a New Age bookstore because this was pre-Amazon. I know it's hard to imagine a time before Amazon. But I found it and it was definitely over my head. But it gave me, it gave me hope. And I would kind of tip my toes back in it every once in a while. And then around the same time, I discovered yoga. And so yoga put me in touch with something. Is it just you, your breath, and your body? And as I started doing this, because you know there are certain poses where you literally are just kind of folding into yourself. I started to accept myself as I was, not just on a physical level, but on all levels. And I had a tribe, like I had a, a group of people that 
were like me, that liked the same things as me. And there's something about that that's so freeing and so liberating. So I was living like, you know, my big gay life, going out to bars, <laughs> kissing boys, dating boys, living with boys, men, actually, but I don't know. Sometimes it's more fun to call them boys. And in a lot of ways, we do act like boys. But then I would also kind of notice that these old messages were still there. Like they were still just kind of gnawing at me. So maybe about 15 years ago, I settled into a path that I was determined to stick with. Because I think a lot of times when, when we're looking for something to believe in or we're looking to maybe develop uh, a practice, a, a spiritual practice, that we do a lot of um, spiritual shopping around. <laughs> a lot of like, oh, let me try this on. And we wear it for a few days, maybe a week. Oh, this doesn't work. We go on to the next thing. There's a reason why self-help books are like a billion dollar industry. But about 15 years ago, I found a group of other queer spiritual people. And so I decided I would get on that path and stay on it. And that path included Course in Miracles. And this time I was ready for it. And also included, you know, some Ernest Holmes, some Science of the Mind. It was very centered on uh, being aware of your thoughts, of being how you talk to yourself, the messages that you play over and over to yourself. So that was very helpful in getting me through this and getting me out of this. But then there, there was sort of a time after a few years, after several years, honestly, where I was like, wow, I don't think I'm very good at this. <laughs> because I would still have, you know, some of these stories that would, would pop up. And then that led me into a path of, the path of Buddhism. Because the thing that I liked about Buddhism more than I liked and sort of these, you know, other communities, higher thought communities, was that Buddhism recognized and said, yes, life is hard sometimes, and there is suffering in that life experience. But here are some ways you can manage that and get around it. So that's kind of where I land now, is Buddhish. <laughs> that's what I kind of call it. Some of the old stories and some of the old tales still pop up. Mostly because those voices are being amplified again. We're in this interesting time of where words that had not been used in a long time are back. I was walking to my car, I don't know, maybe two years ago, uh, after leaving a bar with a friend of mine. And someone screamed faggot at me across the street. That was the first time that had happened in like 10, 15 years, maybe more. And I was just like, I keep, <laughs> what? But here's the thing. My mother is still very religious. And she goes to a very conservative church. And she's a Fox News watcher. She's a Trumper. 
and she has two gay sons. And I've asked her how she sort of justifies these two things. I've never gotten a satisfactory answer. So the last time that we had this conversation, I said to her, I said, you know, you, you go to a church and you support a person and a party that see your sons as less than and would love to strip us of our rights. They're not special rights, by the way. They're fucking equal rights. But you support these two systems and institutions that are homophobic. And as a result of that, that makes you homophobic. Obviously, she got very defensive at that. But here's the thing, and this is what the message we've been getting for a while now. If we look at this in terms of of the Black Lives Matter movement, you're either racist or you're anti-racist. So you're either queerphobic or you're anti-queerphobia. There's no gray area anymore. We can't... We can't exist in this idea that politically, because you like someone's economic plan, but they want to ban trans, they want to uh, ban same-sex adoptions, etc. You can't marry those two ideas anymore. You can't support a system that says, we're going to make America great again when I'm not a part of that America. When I'm not a part of that greatness. Because then you may not be the one screaming faggot to me across the street, but you are the person standing by not saying anything. And I've seen this in a lot of people that I love. Thanks to Facebook, there's no mystery anymore where people stand. And it has changed my my views of them, and it has altered my relationships with them. And that's something I'm working on. There's a prayer from A Course in Miracles that says, Where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say and to whom? I think if we can get to a place where we can have conversations again, and not just one side yelling at the other side, that there's hope to close this chasm that didn't start with Fox News and Donald Trump. It just gave it a platform. It just found its audience. I think that if more people realized how much this hurt people that they know and love, maybe viewpoints would change. Maybe they wouldn't. But I'll continue to show up on yoga mats and meditation cushions and on podcasts. And hopefully you'll listen. 
And I promise there'll be more episodes of about the Golden Girls and dick jokes. But I just felt like today that this was just something that needed, I needed to let go of. I needed to put out. So I thank you for indulging me in it. And, you know, if we see each other, let's make an agreement to be kind to each other. So until next time, friends, be well. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at there once was a yogi. Also, I have a YouTube channel if you want to practice yoga or meditation with me. Also under there once was a yogi. And be sure to follow and leave a review. Thanks.